the diamond, I The Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. Now, I have in my hand a pair of flip-flops. They're a sort of gold, pale brown colour. They have a simple plastic strap in the normal way, which goes between the toe, and then two bands follow round to hold the foot. There's very little else one can say about them. They're called Havaianas, which suggests that perhaps they're used for beach and for summer and for very, very casual wear like that. They're in pretty good condition and uh, would probably be very useful on holiday. These flip-flops belong to Sky Windbank. This is her story. My name's Sky Windbank. I'm currently travelling around Australia in a camper van with my husband, Ben, and our four daughters. Indigo is five. We have two, three-year-old twins, Asha and Saskia, and Aki, our ten-month-old. So we've been on the road since... April, so about uh, eight months so far, due back in a couple of months. About three years ago, we were just travelling down south in WA and we saw a, a camel train just taking rides. We chatted to the guy there and he had just done a year on camel back and that inspired us to think about going on a camel ride. And we thought, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome, we could do that. <laughs> um, we just had Indy at the time. And we started working at a camel farm just out of Perth. And we had the twins and took some time off from that and then came back after the twins were about four months old. And then, yeah, we were training camels every second weekend and we could find a babysitter to look after the kids while we did that. And we were going to leave when the, when the twins turned two. Um, and then when I got pregnant with Aki, and he, he was like, no, people do this. The nomads in the Middle East, you know, travel on by camel. That's how they live. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, but we're not nomads and we're not in the Middle East. This is not our life. Um, so, yeah, I, I, pulled, I put a stop to the trip. It was my fault. <laughs> I ended the dream. So then we picked up on the, on the camper van, which has been great. The moment we left the driveway, it was like all of a sudden I could look forward and look towards what we were actually doing, because up until that time, it had been so hectic just planning to get out of the house. You know, we were renting out our the house that we live in. So we had to pack that all up and clean that up, all with the four little kids going crazy all the time, and they were excited, and everything was moving, and it was this full adjustment. We were half living in the camper van, half living in our house, and we finally left on the, it was a Wednesday morning, it was a beautiful morning, and we all piled in the car and we took a photo of the car coming out of the driveway and then we were off and it was fun. We Yeah, it was really exciting. I didn't even look at a map until we got on the road on that first day after we left the driveway. I thought, okay, now it's time to get the map out. <laughs> and so we went, okay. Oh, we knew the first stop. We sort of thought, yeah, we'll get past Lancelin and we'll just see, you know, Durian Bay, somewhere around there. Every camp spot we'd look and go, oh, where should we get to next? You know, how far away is that bit, that point? And we'd go for it. The moment we hit our stride definitely for me was when we hit the East Coast, which was a fair way into our journey, probably six months in. But we, sorry, we'd come from Darwin and we'd had this awful experience in Darwin with midgey bites and they're just like it was 
awful. <laughs> like we all had about 200 bites on us that had blistered up and gone into welts. And anyway, so we hightailed it out of Darwin and we just drove and drove and drove for three days or four days straight across from Darwin down Tennant Creek, Mount Isa, and then up to just north of Cairns. And it's really dry country all through there, really dry, and, and burn-offs happen all the time, and so there's not much vegetation. And then all of a sudden you hit the east coast and you've got this lush rainforest, tropical rainforest, and it's green everywhere, and it's just, ah, oh, now it's good. You know, that's, that was my feeling, just, ah, oh, I can do this. This is great. I love this. <laughs> so we had a basic schedule of getting back to Perth in time for Indy to start school in January, but... While we were on the trip, an invitation came out to go. We used to have a farm, we have a farm in Buxton, Victoria. They were having a Buxton reunion for passing current Buxton residents that had left since the bushfires of two thousand and nine. So we lost our farmhouse on Black Saturday, and so did a lot of other people in the area. And so it was just an opportunity to, to reconnect with a lot of people. And so we thought that'd be a lovely thing to come back for. And also, it coincided amazingly with the anniversary of my parents' death as well. So to return return there at that time and it was a full moon was just it seemed like I'd done gone full circle. And it was a bit of healing, I guess. In two thousand and one I'd just returned from overseas travelling and I was sitting down at the table with my mum and she said, I think your father's having an affair and my jaw dropped and I couldn't believe it and I said, you know, what made you think? Why on earth would you say that? Why do you think that? And she said, oh, I saw them. You know, it was with his um, personal assistant who'd had for 20 years. And he said, I saw a look between them. And a, and a, and a wife knows that look. So then I, I offered to check it out. And my dad was going away on a work trip the next weekend. So I called up the hotel that he was staying at. And I said, oh, I'm just confirming that reservation for Mr. Winterbank. Um, that is, is that for one or two people? And they said, oh, that's for two people. And I called the airline and again confirmed how many passengers were on the flight, booked from that ticket, and there were two, you know, and then my mum confronted him up at the farm and I was down in Melbourne and, yeah, that was heartbreaking and, yeah, gutting for the whole family. Destroyed us. <laughs> we found out after they died that he had been having the affair for 17 years with this woman that had been quite involved in our lives and it was a really sad demise of my mother and father's relationship until for two years sort of this went on. He came and went a couple of times and he didn't want to hurt mum but he he loved the other woman and mum wouldn't get over it and couldn't accept it and so uh, in the end she... She shot Dad and and then suicided herself at the farm. Uh, in the middle of that, she called me and I was at a cafe in Melbourne just having finished work and she said, I've just shot Dad. Call my brother and, and my best friend and, and come up here quickly. And I said to her, oh, don't do anything stupid, Mum, just... Just I'll be there as soon as I can. And I hung up the phone, which, you know, I then went on to realise that's like the number one rule you don't do if someone's suicidal, hang up the phone. So anyway, we drove up and the scene played out. 
I forgave them straight away. I completely understood their their pain on both sides, you know. Um, they both did really bad things. You know, who's to judge? Is having an affair really bad? Is, is killing someone really bad? Well, you know, most people would say, of course, killing someone's way worse than having an affair. But he destroyed her life and I understood that. And she talked at length about it with me and she was, you know, she couldn't get over it. So I understood exactly why she did it. Um, I couldn't empathise with my dad for a long time. He was the he was the wrongdoer in the whole thing for a long time. And I thought, you know, Dad did do a really bad thing, and he it was sort of I took it personally, but it wasn't personal against me. He he fell in love, and he he went with it. He didn't have any self control about it, which was, you know, the real problem. But and and her, you know, the other woman, she's you know she lost a lot. They had all these plans for retirement and the rest of their lives together and I guess they'd been waiting for it a bit so it's just sad for everyone it was a really really sad situation it has affected how I see things you know I was always quite black and white but I think I I wait for the full story when I you know see see something that I would I'm not as quick to judge by any means and I Realise that, you know, everybody's got a story going on and it's important to know that before you can really be harsh towards someone. You know, I do have to pinch myself to rem- to remind myself how lucky I am and, you know, I do have my own dream. You know, I've got my husband and my children and, and we're happy and healthy and going well. So, you know, I've got to re- you've got to remember that regularly. Just take stock of what you do have. Don't think about what you don't have. Sky Story was produced by Marnie Richardson. Her shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we're going next. <laughs>